right say we are on episode 16 foreign and domestic unfiltered yes sir so we just wanted to get on here and chat about what's going on this week nothing really no deep dives prepared but friday is always a good time going into a, a holiday weekend here in the united states it's memorial day um ramon can you give me some Facts on Memorial Day, what's it about? I'm not a holiday person, so I don't look into them. I only know about things that I care about, and holidays are not one of them. I'm very Bernie Sanders-esque in that regard. Uh, <laughs> gift, card indi- gift card industry can die tomorrow, don't care. Um, uh, you know, if I know you and like you, I'll say happy birthday. Other than that, nope. Uh, you know, I'm... I like uh, I like days off. I like... <laughs> Again, the meaning of Memorial Day, I believe, is for fallen. It's it's just an American holiday, and it's for yeah, yeah, yeah. Mil- fallen military. What's the difference between? I think Veterans Day is for active, uh, alive people who are alive. If I'm not mistaken, Memorial Day is only okay. for fallen soldiers. For I'm, fallen. I'm just I know a little bit about it. I just don't care, you know, to go into any and not just Memorial Day specifically, just like all holidays, right? Um, but that's just me. I'm just, no offense, Memorial Day. Yeah, I'm just a cranky but, guy, you know. Bah humbug. <laughs> Um, okay, yeah, so we, uh, we're just going to riff a little bit today, talk about what we've seen and what's been popping up. What do you got for me, Ramon? Come on, I know you got a good first. All right, um, do you want to do the Clyburn video? I actually have it transcribed if you just want me to read the quotes. Um, yeah, just read the quote. Okay, I got that. So right here, folks, let's just hop right into, you know, just dovetails nicely with what we've talked about, Israel-Palestine, and we're just seeing a little bit of, you know, just doing some media analysis was looking through some things, something jumped out at me and thought it was hilarious. Wanted to share it with Patter and everyone else here. Um, so I think it was 10 days ago. Um, a gentleman named Charles Blow was interviewing Jim Clyburn. Great name, by the way. Yeah, Sorry. awesome name. Uh, Curtis Curtis Blow, anybody? Go 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 listen. One of the classics, uh, classic artists. Um, but yeah, so Charles Blow on BNC News um uh was interviewing Jane uh Jim Clyburn. And was asking some questions on Israel-Palestine. And, you know, Charles Blow goes, quote, Do you believe that Israel is committing human rights violations or that the blame is equally distributed? Um, You know, he was citing civilian casualties and uh, other things of that nature. And Jim Clyburn's response was, quote, I think the violence needs to come to an end. Whoever is perpetrating the violence, it needs to come to an end. I do believe that this situation is far beyond what the eyes may see. I have not studied it. I've done, I've seen some headlines. I don't know. I'm not a specialist on foreign affairs and I tend to stay out of it. So I have no idea. End quote. Patter just saw this live, like what, like 10 minutes ago? 10 minutes ago. Give me the react because mine, mine's, yours been marinating here. (laughs) (laughs) Well, I I struggled for words for about 30 seconds at the thought of, uh, Absolute dinosaur in government. He's been there, what, 30, 40 years? And uh, now he's in a very powerful position that he can't categorically say that civilian casualties in the Israeli-Palestine conflict is not something he can condemn. But it's also amazing that he can say that he hasn't studied it much when, you know, America has given, what, five, five plus billion dollars a year to Israel for defense? So... Yeah, that was my reaction. That's what I said for a moment. I mean, I like, for me, it set off like the fucking like uh, 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 the Kill Bill, like doo, 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 the alarm bell, because it was like 
this is wrong in so many different ways. Like, all right, so, all right, let's even give him the, let's be extremely charitable here. He's an APAC guy, you know, like most of Democratic Party leadership, right? So he obviously isn't going to like have some hot take on Israel-Palestine. Like we, we're all, we can be realistic and know that he was never going to answer this the way that me or Patter would have wanted him to in the first place, right? Right. But the fact that he just like, I mean, and you have to give some credit for the honesty. I, I hope it's honesty. <laughs> I, I, Quote, I have no idea. So how the fuck are you in leadership in the House of Representatives of America? One of the most fiddling foreign policy <laughs> nations in the in the world. Yeah. Talking about, I don't know anything about Israel. He's Ray Charles said the bullshit. So this should just be like automatic disqualification, folks. This makes him no different than, <laughs> you know, uh, Marjorie Taylor Greene or Lauren Boebert. Or any of these other just dipshit people you find on the right that have Ugh. no idea about anything having to do with foreign policy. And he just came right out and said it. Uh, yeah, I don't know. I don't know. So that was the first thing that popped in my head. Uh, the <laughs> second thing that popped in my head was this just shows, like, again, we've discussed this before on previous episodes, like, how far gone American politics hmm. is from the, the concept of, like, you know, Congress is supposed to be the deliberative body when it comes to, like, declaring war. And typically part of declaring war is, like, you have to know foreign policy. You can't just be like, oh, I don't like this guy now, so I'm going to war. Like, no, you have to know the intricacies, the, you know, the 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 internal dynamics of a country. So, it, again, it just shows, like, how lazy they get to be where presidents, the executive has usurped that responsibility of Congress to the point where now you have a person in house leadership, the number two person in the house, just literally being like, yeah, I, I don't know. Who cares? Like basically right. just like, yeah, whatever. Uh, the violence needs to stop. Like he's talking about, um, you know, like, uh, 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 um, you know, like Charleston, South Carolina, like a, like a gang shooting or something like it, like it's mm -hmm. on that level. Like it was just normal people like fighting over money or something. Not, not a genocide or. Yeah. I mean, <laughs> I'm not surprised, but I'm also like, oh. And as I said to you when I saw first, I've seen that version of that question being asked a few times. And, you know, it, it's a fairly simple answer. But, you know, they, people defending what Israel is doing and just the inconsequential uh, acts that's happening there, they don't know how to answer. They can't give it a basic answer, which just lets you... Know all you need to know with that. Yeah. Um, and, and, oh, speaking of crazy Marjorie Taylor Greene, <laughs> did you see the, they they did like an America First rally with her and Matt Gates in Georgia? No, yesterday? I didn't see that. What they happened? said some crazy things. Uh, Naturally. Yeah, so Matt Gates started talking about the, he was talking about Silicon Valley. Um. <laughs> And he basically said, you know, if they're not going to let us participate, um, well, we have a second amendment for a reason. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. It's, yeah. So, you know, people were saying, well, that's, again, it's kind of inciting what we saw on March 6th or on January 6th. Um, and just the, and then Marjorie Taylor Greene got up and spoke and she was talking about, there's a little thing in a colleagues I work with called the squad. I like to call them the jihad squad. <laughs> <laughs> it's literally she took like a <laughs> oh no and she she was talking like someone that we've all seen you know you've seen that girl who's like let me tell you about something yeah 
Yeah, yeah, no, uh, and, and, which, yeah, that's what Marjorie says. She gives off strong, like, uh, like towny mom, oh, yeah. like mom at the bar who's just yeah. like already hammered. Like you got out of work, it's like five yep. o'clock. She's already hammered at the corner of the bar. Yeah, like that's, that's like her. her that's her total vibe. That's her energy. You you don't want to mess with her, but at the same time, you know that she'll be on her ass by eleven o'clock drunk. Oh so. yeah, and that's the thing. Like right, we talked about it like last week. Like she for sure. Like all this saga of her like stalking AOC and other squad members in the house. Like. She could definitely scrap. Like, I'd be worried about IOC. Like, we need to get Corey Bush in here. Let's get the gloves on, folks. <laughs> yeah. Let's get some other young lightning, some other, uh, some, some, you know, some soldiers in the Democratic Party here that came in. Corey Bush yeah. looks like she could whip some ass, you know. I think there should be, uh, that would help a lot. I think if there was a lot of people that'd be able to duke it out. Yeah. Well, no we, guns, they just used like to. one on one. Yeah, they used to have duels and shit, bro. Like, they should. Bring back the duels. That's what I say. Well, and that's the problem. Like, right, we, we've talked about before, like, politics is... As much as like, especially establishment Democrats keep trying to keep up the facade that this isn't blood sport and the Republicans are just reveling in it. You know, that's, oh, yeah. it's honestly a part of the only, it's the only reason they even like have any real position in their, it's because they have a bunch of bloodthirsty people in their base that love that mm -hmm. shit, right? So you right. know what? Give give them what they want. Come on, folks. Let's uh, erect a coliseum somewhere in D.C. You know what I mean? Let's have some gladiator the, games. The dynamic, the dynamic of that happening yesterday um and i'll pull it up here while we're while we're talking but the the dynamic of that happening is america first rally and with matt gates and you know that craziness uh paul ryan then speaking yesterday did you see that no he's Where out he, of the woods uh, yeah, i haven't he, seen paul ryan talk from in his bunker. years bro uh but he was basically a rebuke of the what's going on with it, where the, he was talking about we should not allow one person or one ideology shape this party mm -hmm. basically talking about which is rich coming from you know the fellow who fanned the flames of the tea party and got us kind of where we are today right um, right so yeah that <laughs> that's what i ca caught yesterday and had a laugh at before oh, i'm I mad i missed that now paul ryan huh hadn't seen uh you know he, he's definitely in that cheney uh 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 wing right now if he did exist in the republican party still i actually i caught um i've been watching more axios now because since you've been uh well you were talking about it a lot and i was like all right i'll give it another shot because you know i kind of fell off of it for a little while because mm -hmm. whenever there's elections going on, they get a little too close to the Democratic Party for me. But they had Bernie on and, you know, Jonathan Swan did a great job with that. And I saw the – did you see the Liz Cheney interview? Yeah. What She – so she was so she's she's positioning herself as like oh the insurrection was wrong and you know a lot of the same stuff you're saying Paul Ryan said we're like you know we need to get back to fiscal responsibility you know all the the, yeah. the playing the hits basically of the Republican Party playing the hits and then Swan's like okay but like what about all this voter uh, law right. <laughs> legislation that like all these red states are just blitzing out right now out of state houses and she just pivots back to the same. Bullshit, which is like, oh, well, you know, only people who can vote should vote. And, you know, it's a problem. You know, you have to look into right. each state and the, leg and the, the legislation put forward. And it's like, okay, so, folks, like, we can't – you can't sit there and take some stance where, no, the election wasn't stolen – uh, th if there was any voter fraud, it was insignificant. This is ridiculous. Donald Trump's a monster. And then immediately pivot – and then immediately pivot into just completely – uh, legitimizing the legislative push of what came from the insurrection. So mm -hmm. as much as like you see liberal media giving, uh, you know, lionizing Liz Cheney in this regard, like she's still very much, go watch that interview. Like 
She's, yeah, and she's Jonathan Swan pressed her too. He brought he brought it back a couple oh, of times. Oh, yeah. He laughed in her face a couple of times. Yeah. I mean, he did. He, <laughs> he did. And she looked at visibly embarrassed with her answers almost. She should be. And you know what? I'll, I'll at least <laughs> give her credit for going on because that's an untenable position. You can't walk that tightrope. It's just, yeah. what are you doing? I mean, so off the back of that, this is what. So Trump already fired back at Paul Ryan um, on Friday. Um, this is in the Hill. Fired back at former House Speaker Paul Ryan after a speech in which Ryan criticized Trump's continued grip on the Republican Party. In a statement issued through his leadership political action committee, Save America, <laughs> Trump hammered <laughs> Trump hammered Ryan as a rhino, a Republican in name only, and blamed him as and Senator Romney um, for costing Republicans the White House nearly a decade ago. Mm. Wait, is he talking about McCain? He goes, he's talking, Ryan about, he's talking been, about McCain? Yeah, I, no, Romney. He goes, Paul Ryan oh. has been a curse to the Republican Party, Trump said. He has no clue as to what needs to be done for our country, was a weak and ineffective leader, and spent all of his time fighting Republicans as opposed to Democrats, who are destroying our country. Oh, uh, yeah. That's it? No nicknames? No insults? Nope. That's it? N no, he goes, if the conservative cause depends on the populist appeal of one personality or a second-rate imitations, then we're not going anywhere, Ryan said in a clear reference to Trump. Right. Well, so that's interesting to see him come out. So somebody definitely put some money in his pocket for him to get back out and yeah. uh, be doing that. Do you know, what has he been doing? Like, is he lobbying? Did he start uh, a consulting for firm? The, uh, yeah, well, he, wor he works within Fox Fox behind the scenes oh i was gonna say i haven't seen him okay so he's, yeah, he's at right. the fox corporation well, i was gonna say he always was lauded as like a wonk like he was like a policy guy um that was how the republican party like tried to brand him for years uh never yeah. really saw him write any policy never saw him bring anything to the house floor um but that's how they tried to make him out to be so well there was aspirations for him to possibly be a good presidential candidate for them yeah, yeah, but he's not vicious enough. You you have to be yeah. a monster. Uh, that's proven. Like you look at like you just named like uh, Romney, uh, McCain. Yeah. And McCain was close. McCain probably would have won if it wasn't for Palin, maybe. Uh, because <laughs> you know, I mean, yeah, probably not. Obama was extremely no, Obama popular. Obama was a generational. But that's the thing. They didn't. Whip, McCain didn't whip up the 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 hogs enough. That's really you know. Yeah, that's what he was too good of a nice guy. Yeah, I it during the actual presidential right. um run, right? But. And, and Romney messed up because he kept trying to dodge like all the attacks of like, oh, you're you know, oh, I'm not that rich. Like, no, he should have leaned into it like Trump did. He, he should have yeah. leaned into it and been like, yeah, I'm rich. Uh, you know, I'll fucking I'm rich, bitch. I'll burn your house down and give you cash right now. What's up? Like, you know, <laughs> like, let's do it, you know, but, um, yeah, yeah, that, that's cool. I love, uh, I want, Paul, I want more Paul Ryan. I used to love making fun of Paul Ryan. <laughs> bring back Paul Ryan. Yeah. Bring him back. Some of these guys yeah. are just, you, there's only so much laughter to be had at the expense of people foaming at the mouth in the Republican party. You got to have some of these guys like, you know, like old Ted Cruz, like these guys trying to fashion themselves as like, Ooh, I'm an intel, I'm of the Republican intelligentsia. You know, oh, like Ted Cruz, I hate him so much. Yeah, they're the but they're the most fun to mock because it's like you, your whole ideology is incoherent and has no logic. You Bro, know? it's a mockery though of the United States. It's not just one party that the that it even holds his flip flopping and his personality is held weight for so long. Oh, for sure, um, for sure. Uh, I I definitely think that 
he'll face a decent run the next time he has to run against somebody yeah oh you know what this makes me think i love that we're on this just like floating around republican uh figurehead <laughs> um i saw uh so marco rubio in florida Oh, um, the, you want to talk about the prodigal son, like Paul Ryan. No, Marco Rubio was their guy for a long time. They, Little they, Marco. They were they were manicuring that man, and Trump decimated him. Trump Trump ended Marco Rubio's political career in one cycle. Um, the Republican Party had been, uh, you know, raised him from a seedling, uh, put fertilizer all in his bed, watered him every night. He was just, he was growing, folks. And then Trump just came in and mowed the lawn and was like, no, not <laughs> happening. So what's interesting with him, he's coming up for re-election. He's, he's up in 2022, right? So mm -hmm. uh, there was a bunch of threats from his right of people possibly primarying him, but those got quashed, I think, probably because his war chest is probably going to be insane. Florida Senate, Senate Republicans always get insane amounts of money. The but money. There's a Democrat, Val Demings, uh, from Florida. That one with the raspy voice. Yeah, she's gonna run yeah. against him, and she's a former police chief, so she's actually been hitting him pretty hard. In the Woman media. of color too, right? Yeah, yep. Um, she's been hitting him pretty hard in the media, and it's been interesting to see. Like, I've seen a bunch of press hits of Marco Rubio, and you know, typically, like he's been trying to like play that, like, oh, I want to do immigration reform, like, oh, I'm a nice Republican, you know, but it's got to be fair. Mm -hmm. Well, you know, he tried to do that whole game, like, or very Romney esque. Right. Uh, and then the primary happened, and he just fell flat on his face because Trump just dunked on him. But now he's going, he's full in, he's all in. I, he's to me, he is the bellwether right now for it's absolute proof that you cannot, you, no one will attempt to run outside of trump's uh uh like uh his magnet his magnetism his gravitational pull rubio's going full on he's he just went full in um the 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 interview i just watched he was on there talking about it was on fox he was talking about cultural marxism and all he's doing all the typical bullshit right-wing talking point stuff trying to just be like yo look at me i'm a vicious right-winger too i'm not that nice guy you remember from four years ago that trump dragged across right. the stage um so Another interesting pivot, something for people to well, check out. Little laughter. Well, also, it, it isn't it indicative of how deep the rot is in the Republican Party and the remnants of Trump that you have, you know, statements like that and instances of that, but also the vote that was just had on the January sixth commission, the nine eleven Snyder Commission. They want to do on that. Mm -hmm. You think of all those, and even Mitch McConnell after it you know, flat out said that if it wasn't for, then it wouldn't have, if it wasn't for Trump, I don't, he doesn't think there would be an insurrection, right? Right. But he still was around whipping people up, uh, reported in the papers that he was asking for favors for them to, to vote against the January 6th. So what does that tell you? Why is he doing that? Yeah. Um, again, it's just a, it's an instance of how deep the rod is in that. Right. We have, you know, people like Paul Ryan coming out, you have, you know, it's going to be tough. And I think I, I would I would say Paul Ryan and the like who are trying to pivot away from Trump would be the reason that the party would sustain in its current form or, or like at least uh, try to, to reinvigorate themselves with, you know, more 21st century ideas instead of this like America first, you know, isolationist Trump style. Um, right. And, and, and it's going to end up decapitating itself. <laughs> and so this is really interesting, right? So like 
my personal analysis on this. So like now that you're telling me like that, that Paul Ryan, that's significant in my opinion. Um, mm-hmm. We talked about it in like, I think it was like episode three, the, the Trump, you know, the Republican civil war. We brought it up briefly as right. a quick hit. Um, this is, uh, this is groundbreaking. Like this is, uh, you know, typically the Republican party for my whole lifetime, you know, extremely drone donor driven. So is the democratic party. Like, let's keep it real. Um, mm-hmm. But There was always like a very synchronized robotic movement toward what donors wanted in the Republican Party. And now, Mm -hmm. like, I've certainly never seen it. And I can't really think of any time prior to, you know, maybe Nixon or I'm Reagan. I'm sorry. Uh, Right. Like Trump is the Reagan now. Like we're, we're having we're having this is a literal battle between like the money. The, the moneyed interests uh, and donors of the Republican Party who are trying to get, you know, like, that's what you see in Paul Ryan. That's what you see in, uh you know, your Romney-esque type people, your Liz Cheney's. They're mm-hmm. clearly acting not just on behalf of their donors, but for their own because they've locked themselves in. They have no choice now. They they set themselves up in opposition to Trump or at the very least not accepting of Trumpism and you continue to see Trump trying to hold control. And so far you look at public policy polling. Um, I think it's like 50% of Republicans still believe the election was stolen. It yeah, really it hasn't receded too much. So this is a really pivotal moment for the Republican party and something that people should pay attention to because especially for Democrats, because Democrats right. are reactive to the Republican party. They are not proactive. They are completely right. reactive. And so that's going to be an interesting dynamic to see play out how this power struggle continues on near the midterms. Because if Trump starts coming out and endorsing people and fucking campaigning, it's going to get messy. There's going to be some there's going to be some sparks flying. But I just want to touch on real quick and pivot back to what you were saying about the uh, the January 6th inquiry. Um, I, I gave this a lot of thought. We talked about this a couple days ago. Uh, I, I think that as frustrating as it can seem on its face that, you know, because we're me and you, Pat, are like, we're honest people, right? Like, we know that mm-hmm. was a clear wrong that was done. You want to see some accountability. You know what I mean? Like any honest person mm-hmm. who is not is not really like attempting to just view it through a completely partisan lens is like, yeah, that was fucked up and it should be looked at. It was a severe moment in American history where, you know, democracy was attempted to be threatened for the first time in a in a in an ex in a in an uh an outward way a visible way something we all watched right. unfold and <laughs> happen on live television right and yeah. more so than anything i think just the the actual shaking of the concept of democracy was it even bigger than what we actually saw on the corporal plane like just 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 the ideal of it of it being threatened in that regard i think is a, a world shaking thing for a lot of people but on a poli- on a political level Uh, Like my take uh, to keep it completely 100, I think Democrats should breathe a sigh of relief that this probably that if this doesn't happen, this inquiry, it's probably better off. Like, let's look at the track record here. Right. Let's look at the Mueller, the Mueller report. Let's look at um, any type of thing of this of this type that Democrats have attempted to launch in the past. Democrats just don't have the sauce to do this shit. They, They can't pull off a Benghazi. You know what I mean? They can't pull off. I just don't think they can. And honestly, and honestly, like, like I'm, if there, if there could be any, if there was any way that there could be actual result out of this, where like, oh, we're gonna, um, you know, 
uh, make it so Trump can't run again for president, like some concrete thing that came out of the the insurrection uh, investigation, then sure. But for the most part, like if you're going to try to play it on a political angle, which is what Democratic strategists are doing and which why they wanted to do it is because we're rolling into the midterms. They want to beat up on the Republican Party by holding this investigation. Yeah. I understand that. But they're not being realistic. Like Democrats, every time Democrats do something like this, it reverses on them. Hmm. They they don't win any public policy points off of this shit. I don't know what it is. I don't know if it's because of who the people because first off, who's watching that? Who's tuning into like uh you know C-SPAN and watching that shit? It's Democrats. Okay. So you're already speaking to an audience that agrees with you, first of all. Second off, even if the media writes about it a little bit. I I have this theory, and I think it's pretty proven out over time, that whenever Democrats try to harp on these types of things where it's like, oh, we're going to do this investigation and there were all these things, blah, 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 Republicans thrive off of that shit. They, 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 they fundraise. They, they're just better at messaging. I think moving forward, a better strategy might just be let them scream about Dr. Seuss into the abyss. Let them cry about Silicon Valley and Twitter and Facebook. And just stop engaging with them and do policy. Like, let's try that for a change. I just, I don't see, I've never seen any real political effect from any of these investigations unless they were done by Republicans. Like, it's clear. They destroyed Hillary Clinton's public perception with Benghazi. They, they, they're very good at these things. I don't know what it is. And it's probably just because their base is more ready and accepting to just be like, yeah, these people are all monsters. You know, the liberals tend to be much more understanding and being like, oh, well, you know what? I think McCarthy, he did say some things at the beginning and now, you know, he's trying to play politics. We're being cerebral about it. Uh, these investigations and the political, the public, public policy polling that you want to get out of them, you want a, an emotional response. You don't want people who are like watching the whole hearing and then being like, oh, well, here's my value judgment based off of this and then reading New York Times articles. That's already going to happen. Right. So I just, I don't know. I feel like, these things always backfire. So we, if it well, doesn't I mean, happen, it might be a good thing. Well, I think the issue is you kind of named a, a couple of them already. The amount of Republicans who believe the the big lie, mm -hmm. who at the same time believe that, you know, you've had people who are in government, they're talking about how most of them look like tourists on January 6th. <laughs> you know, I, I don't, I think... Regardless, there's going to be investigations, whether it's going to be a commission style or other, uh, you know, mecha mechanisms that Schumer can use in order to still do the same thing. The fact that it doesn't get its own commission is something that the Democrats can use as a way to say, like, look what you guys did, mm -hmm. look what you guys won't even vote on. You're already seeing it right now. They didn't get the votes. You had dissenters within the Republican parties like Murkowski and Collins, the usual. Um, but again, it just speaks more to what we're talking about here with the infighting and the identity of it. I mean, we could do a fucking episode each week on how the Republican Party is is kind of, um, you know, killing itself from the inside. But I think on when you talk about the party itself, but when you talk about the voters, the people who are believing all this stuff, they're, if nothing, getting stronger. You know what I mean? They're really coalescing around these dumb Q messages around, you know, culture wars, all of that. Mm -hmm. So, yeah, it's a precarious time. And I think beyond that, what you're seeing with the filibuster being used and abused, you know, one side seems to be playing obstructionist politics as usual. It, it seems to be 
the Republicans and Mitch McConnell. But how dangerous is it that they use the filibuster for something like this, which, you know, I think the world saw. There's images, there's, you know, officers who got hurt. Supposedly the the law and order, you know, lovers, <laughs> you know, and they can't even get a commission into the what the second time it's been attacked since the civil civil first time it's been attacked since the civil war. Mm-hmm. Um, and that was I actually. The, oh, I'm sorry. No, I was going to say I think the irony of all of this is is funny if it wasn't so dangerous. For sure. Um, I was going to say real quick, that was actually a talking point Val Demings has been launching at Marco Rubio, where she was like, uh, she tweeted it the other day. She was like, don't don't talk about how you support the police, but won't do the January 6th uh, investigation. And then she was putting clips of police being beaten, Uh, (laughs) which, hey, I mean, that yeah, that's got quite the rhetorical flair. I mean, that's, you know, it's it's kind of true, man. Like, um, and. And it's, I love that you just mentioned the filibuster because this was actually, as much as we talked about it, like we did a whole big chunk of an episode on it. We broke it down. We talked about how it was a hurdle that needed to be cleared. It is almost June, folks. We Mm -hmm. still haven't had any movement or confirmation of what anyone in Democratic Party leadership is going to do about this. And and, uh, uh, interestingly enough, that was the first time the filibuster has even been used this year. Uh, it, I know it seems like it's like Republicans are constantly because remember, if you remember back on that episode, we explained it that just the threat of the filibuster is typically enough for um, the opposite, the, the party that is being filibustered to not even present it to the floor. And especially in Democrats case, because Democratic strategists are always concerned about, oh, well, we don't want to put something out there and then make it seem like. Oh, it got filibustered now. And then if we try it again next year and it gets filibustered again, it makes it, it gives it the stench as if it's like a failed policy. And and the thing is, it's like, okay, but that's under the rubric of trying to stay within this box you put yourself in with the parliamentarian and all these other things. Like that's not what, how it needs to be. You know what I mean? Like one second though, just listen to this crazy stat. Okay. So. 54 senators who voted for the January 6th commission represent 87 million more Americans than the 35 GOP senators who blocked it. Oh, yeah. You know, and I, when you look at it from that, from that purview and how is it really representation? Well, Patter, we, we, when we, they can Patter, just blindly we live in a republic. We're not in a democracy. Any libertarian will tell you that. Um, we, we, this isn't a democracy. This, yeah, this is, we, I, we live in a republic, a representative republic, and the fact that some citizens' votes count uh, 4x more than others is how it's supposed to be. Uh, yeah, so there, there, there you go. <laughs> 54 yes votes for the 1-6 <laughs> commission represent 191 million American voters, a million Americans, 57% of the population. 35 no votes represent 104 million. This is not how democracy is supposed to work. No, not in the sense of what people try to. And that's the thing, right? Like whenever we get in these silly little, uh, um, you know, uh, language debates over, oh, well, this is what the country's actually is in the documents and blah, blah, blah. And it's like, okay, but that's not how we use it rhetorically. No. You know, it's not how we use it rhetorically. When we talk about democratic, small d democratic rhetoric in our political system, we talk about it as if it's like one man, one vote, one man, one vote. 
When you go to the federal level, that's just not the case. Even when no. you go to the House of Representatives, it's not the case. Gerrymandering's wildly out of control. The Senate is the most undemocratic body in the world. Oh, it's broken. In the it's world. Anti-democratic. Yeah, it, completely. Uh, the most undemocratic body. The, the only thing that could possibly be more undemocratic than the United States Senate is like, I don't know, uh, like a, a theocratic, like re religious leader. Like I, I can't imagine because even monarchs aren't even really a thing anymore like no I just, it, they're just a it, dignitary yeah exactly so i just it's so frustrating to hear that stupid bullshit just like people having like w w the this is the same thing we've been arguing for decades now and then you know if you add that to the fact that you know like dc statehood puerto rico you know all this stuff and it's like right and, and then they'll immediately change the logic like oh what, what do you mean what do you mean no 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 no, not re not representative democracy what do you mean no they well, can't be, they can't have statehood what the fuck are you talking about they can pay they taxes change the logic all the time yeah, they, puerto ricans can pay taxes but they can't have uh representation no absolutely not right i mean i was fucking just talking to you the other day about how I'm I'm not a citizen. Newsflash, everyone. I'm not a citizen of the United <laughs> States. But I pay taxes. Yeah. Um, my daughter goes to Schenectady schools, but I can't vote in the on a green card. I can't vote in my local school board elections. Yep. It's what's what's up with that? It's fucked up, man. Is that a, yeah, is that a representation of uh the people that are adding to the community? No. Right. And you Don't know, get me started on representation. Oh, no, I mean, go ahead, man. That's what we're doing here today. I, I mean, <laughs> I definitely agree. And the thing is, too, like this isn't, um, you know, it's just like anything else. A lot of these same problems that we talk about, you know, we highlight on this one, representation, immigration, uh, citizenship, these kinds of things. Like we have dozens of historical examples of what that inevitably leads to when you don't handle those issues, when you don't, you know, look at the the Italians and, and Rome, you know, that there's... There's plenty of Palestine, Israel, there's plenty of instances where if you continue to just keep that in a box and act like it's not there, it's going to bust out and bite you in the ass at some point. And it doesn't mean it, it doesn't mean it needs to be like in any violent way or anything, but in with political instability. Well, for fuck's sake, like, and this is not a fuck's sake at you, but we're seeing right now, we're seeing, you know, capital insurrection, we're seeing denial of the fucking truth, the peaceful transfer of power. You're seeing voter laws and restrictions coming in all over the country as a as a fucking you know rebuke to what's go what they thought went on. Mm -hmm. You're seeing rollback attempted rollbacks of Roe v. Wade. Uh, you know all these things happening together. You know you can fucking put your hat on it and say that this is the the biggest threat to what they think is democracy going on right now. Um, and again, this is another instance where, you know, if they're going to talk about the filibuster, well, the crazy thing is that, like, Democrats are also trying to get their own party on board with that. Where if, if this was a Republican issue trying to smash the filibuster, you know that they would be all stepping in line. Or you're trying to fucking get Kristen Sinema and, and Joe Manchin, and there's a couple other ones. I don't think Biden is realistic that he could ever do that, nor would he want to. No, but, and, and that's the thing, right? It's all in the framing of you know, how the media tries to make us perceive this. Like, I don't agree with that. Like, they're, they're, the Democratic Party is not trying to get anyone in line with that. They're not. This is just, that's just, in my opinion, and I think that there's dozens of, there's so much evidence across the last decade or so of Democratic Party politics that 
This is just a red herring. This is just this is just a little bit of slop they're trying to throw to the left to be like, oh look, oh we tried, you know, oh we yeah. we have these problems. I, mean, I don't believe that because at the end of the day, like you know, you saw it. Bernie got asked, even Bernie, and you know, I'll I'll, I'll lay some blame at his feet too. He talked all that shit and said, oh I'll go to West Virginia. You know what I mean? And Biden, yeah. he acts like he's that guy. You know what I mean? I remember watching him on the campaign trail. Uh, yelling at, uh, you know, fucking the, the, the one steel worker talking about the second amendment, whatever he gets aggressive in a bunch of other areas. It's not like he, it's not like it's not in his character to, right. to, to push for things that he believes in or that he wants done. And now he actually, mm-hmm. he's got the, he's wearing the belt. He's the champ. He's the fucking president. I'm not seeing anything. And that can pivot us right into this next part where, you know, uh, Joe Biden just actually released his, uh, budget folks and lo and behold there's a lot of shit missing there is a whole ton of shit missing arguably the largest thing he promised on the campaign which would be a public option gone non-existent not happening um you know i got some articles pulled up i don't even think i really need to quote it i think we've got it all down pat here so no public option not happening this year uh, biggest campaign promise, I would argue, money-wise, he made because he didn't even mm-hmm. go that in-depth on infrastructure when he ran. This is kind of just like, um, uh, you know, it, it's sort of just been a, 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 a hobby horse of the Democratic Party for a long time. You know what I mean? Like, sure, yeah. infrastructure time was – I think that that came out uh, out of – utility because there was a ton of things that he did want to do that were good like you know uh increased funding for pre-k and uh all these other things that aren't traditionally infrastructure so i think Mm -hmm. it was useful for them to come out of the gate and make that their first big major policy push other than coronavirus uh uh uh, stimulus relief yeah but you know it's really interesting that no no public option uh huge campaign promise not on there no uh forgiveness of student loans that's a big one that I think a lot of people that I think a lot of people don't realize like how much the Democratic Party base is actually going to be resentful about that because you turned out all these millennials. They're the ones saddled with the most debt. You sat there and talked all that shit and said, oh, $15,000. That was a campaign promise. Right. And then you got pushed from your left. People trying to say, you know, Pramila Jayapal, even Chuck Schumer talking about, hey, you know mm-hmm. what? 50K would probably be a better idea. They showed him all the numbers. It's totally possible with an executive privilege, uh, powers. And now it's nothing. We're all just supposed to go home and just re- be like, hey, well, you know what? He did a good job like getting me a vaccine for free. I'm sorry. That's not enough for how big an election that they framed this to be. It's just not, right. you know, for, for the return on investment, for how much attention people paid to politics, how hard a lot of people campaigned for him, how much black folks in this country sold out for him and, and pushed him across that finish line. Okay. Yeah. And this is something that we talk about a lot where, you know, uh, we can connect it to Clyburn. You know what I mean? Like we brought him up earlier on the episode. He's the South Carolina kingmaker. What did he get out of, you know, what, what did black folks actually get after all this? Oh, if you don't vote for me, you ain't black. All this, Jack. you know, what what happened? Uh, you know, we still got uh, a bunch of anti uh, uh, anti police brutality legislation that was proposed, hasn't even been written. Biden's not pushing it. Uh, no, no federal database for you know police uh, misconduct. A ton of the things that a lot of NAACP leaders pressured Biden on when he first became president elect, non existent. So I don't know. Like, we we have a whole slew of stuff, but yeah, go ahead. There's there's more. <laughs> Well, I was going to say, 
it doesn't bode well for anything that he puts out if you know <laughs> if they can't get through the most basic things and it's getting filibustered um you know representative pocaine and lee um from from mark pocaine Pentagon budget fails to reflect our nation's true needs. Did you see the Pentagon budget portion of it? Yeah. He in quotes he says, if budgets are moral documents, a thirteen billion increase in defense spending is a failure that doesn't reflect this country's actual needs. In the last year, the biggest threat to our nation was a global pandemic, and we were drastically unprepared for it. Now we're proposing a defense spending increase that alone is 1.5 times larger than the Center for Disease Control Prevention the entire 8.7 million budget. Right. Um, I'd agree with that. And then he's, he goes on to say, we need to redefine what defense and national security means in this country. Job security, healthcare security, housing security, climate security. These are the national security crises we should be defending. Mm -hmm. um, you know, the American people against not more futile wars abroad or lucrative contracts for fucking private defense contractors. For sure. Um, and I'd agree with all that. And, and you know, newsflash Americans, like the the threat, <laughs> it, the call's coming from inside the house. Like exactly. we've had we've had multiple FBI reports, multiple um, Homeland Security reports reaching back to Obama through Trump to now even being confirmed in the beginning of the Biden presidency that white supremacist organizations are the largest domestic threat to America. Yeah. So we're doing all this defense spending. That's all for exterior foreign policy issues. Has nothing to do with inside this country. So again, we're just talking about a complete disconnect from what the actual threat to Bob or Mary living in America, what their threat to their physical body is. Like we're not, well, we're just I mean, completely disconnected from it. This also speaks to, again, <laughs> you know, we're in a two-party system, right? And one of the fucking two parties is clearly anti-democratic. Mm -hmm. But, you know, one thing that they always come together on, you don't get much, much pushback either way, is the fucking defense spending. Oh, for sure. <laughs> it's, uh, it's the guaranteed yeah. bipartisanship every year. Yeah. Every year. That and the National Prayer Breakfast. Yeah. Um, it's those two things, uh, everyone will show up to, but, um, here, here, here's a perfect pivot right off of that. You know, we just went in, we were talking about the filibuster earlier, Biden's, uh, budget. We just laid out, we didn't lay it out, but just talking about what was fucking missing. Um, so I have right here from Jake Sherman at Punchbowl News. I have a series of tweets here. I can't pull up the article, but he, he explains, uh, the next issue the biggest issue that I foresee here, um, how we're just going to keep treading water until September. Um, so he says, he tweets, Senate Democrats are now unlikely to try using the fiscal year 2021 budget resolution to put together another reconciliation package, according to three sources close to the issue. This is important because it tells us a lot about the Senate's timing. If you mm -hmm. remember, parliamentarian, parliamentarian Elizabeth McDonough ruled that Senate Democrats can use the same budget resolution to pass multiple majority vote reconciliation packages, according to Chuck Schumer. Democrats used the fiscal year 2021 budget and re resolution to pass the $1.9 trillion American Rescue Plan in March, and they could use it again. But senior Democrats privately don't believe they can finish work on a second reconciliation package by the end of the fiscal year, which is September 30th. So this is exactly what we called and talked about on, uh, I can't remember what episode number, but the urgency with all this, folks, because even if, which I never, I didn't even think that the parliamentarian was going to okay what Chuck Schumer was theorizing, but she did. Yeah. 
But even if that had been the case, it's like you had to be writing that infrastructure bill already when you were talking about that in the media. It's a giant bill. This shit takes yeah. time. You, there, there's so much deliberation that needs to happen just in the House, let alone for you to kick it up to the Senate for you to change filibuster rules around. Yeah. Or just push it through reconciliation. But either way, each one of those processes takes at least three months. So right, right. now it's June. It's June. So so all we're talking about here is maybe the House getting an infrastructure bill put across the, you know, the goal line by, I don't know, mid, late September. Mm -hmm. So and the real issue that this is here, he continues on, is this also means that the debate over infrastructure could drag well into the fall, which will put it on a collision path with government funding and debt limit skirmishes. So you're kicking out the key piece of legislation that you needed to pass legislatively, not emergency stuff, not COVID, key actual change, fundamental change. You're kicking that out to a time and place during when, you know, everybody who pays attention to politics knows, once we start talking about, oh, oh, uh, uh, we're, we got to talk about government funding and we, how we had a government shutdown like every year for the last five years briefly because they can't agree on funding. You're kicking this out to a time when Republicans have an inherent advantage because they can just drag you across the coals and just put up huge numbers on Fox and be like, $8 trillion, $10 million trillion. Yeah, so but why, actually caring, yeah. Right, and the thing is, they don't need, you know, they don't, it doesn't need to make sense. It's just fear-mongering over fiscal issues. So you're purposefully, this is what I mean, though. This is why I feel so much like, damn, I came out of the gate and tried to give Biden so much credit, and, you know, Schumer seems to be having some, like, late-stage ev political evolution, like, cool. But it's like, is it really, though? Is it really, though, because they seem to be taking every wrong turn possible still. It's almost like controlled opposition at this point, where it's like, <laughs> you're just not doing the thing you should have obviously done on purpose. Yeah. It's like, so what are you going to do until September? Tell me, what is the legislative agenda? What is it? Okay, we had HR1. That's dead in the Senate. You won't touch the filibuster. Now we He's, he's talking about bringing it up to August, right? Yeah. On the HR one. Yeah, but my point is, if you're on change the fill, it's not happening. Right. So again, we're talking about all these structural things. We're still... Guys, this was a month and a half ago I was freaking out and screaming on the pot about this. Almost two months ago. I'm Here I am again. It's almost June 1st. <laughs> he's screaming again. And now they're talking about September 30th. What the yeah. fuck is going on? What are you wasting a supermajority for? Why? At least Obama came out of the gate and tried to do shit and got shit on by McConnell. They're mm -hmm. not even trying here. They're not even right. bringing it up in the Senate. What is happening right now? I just, I, I don't, I, I, I'm trying not to be this cynical, but it's like, you're literally being the Washington Wizards. Like, it seems like you're just losing on purpose right now. It really slow feels that as way. as molasses. It's just a slow moving car crash. Yeah, I, I don't know, dog. Uh, it, it feels like uh, it feels like more than it, it, if it is a car crash, it certainly doesn't feel like an accidental one. Um, yeah, I mean, how long was it? Was it six trillion? Was the budget proposal? I think it was eight actually. Uh, because that's including the the Pentagon uh stuff. I, I read the eight. plan reflects Biden's ambitious plans to invest trillions in infrastructure and support for American families. Yeah, corporate tax increase would raise. Two trillion over a decade. Tax increases on high earners, 
Those making above 400,000 per year and would raise 750 billion over the decade, raising the top marginal income tax rate to 39.6 to 37, and near doubling of capital gains tax rates for people earning more than 1 million a year. Yeah. Um, um, I just, but I, again, what what's going to be, if, are, can they use reconciliation on this? Is, on what? On the infrastructure bill? Um, yeah, on this. Yeah, that's what the plan is. That's what they're saying. Uh, Jake Sherman's reporting here is that they plan on doing it uh, for fiscal year twenty twenty two. So that means but they're going to. This is going to be the only other one they can get across, right? Well, there's they yeah, have- there there will be no more use of reconciliation this year. That's basically what they're saying. Um, not not before September thirtieth. So, but it would but it would be for. 2022 right it would be for 2022 and it's probably if anything did pass this large through reconciliation it's gonna happen probably in 2022 because and that's why he brought up that important piece of context i like the way that he laid this tweet thread out because whenever something gets punted to the next fiscal year it means it's not happening till that year that actual calendar year because we are gonna have a drawn out fight over government funding that's gonna suck up the news cycle Right. They're not. No one's going to be writing legislation for some giant infrastructure package to rush through in the in Q4. That's not going to happen. It's never happened. It's certainly not going to start now. It, we don't have any movement on the filibuster. And on top of that, uh, I can just I can tell you right now. I'm going to make a prediction right now on the show. I can guarantee you the way that this is going to happen is he laid it out perfectly. This is going to run right into the time when government funding is the biggest issue in the media. The media is going to mm-hmm. play it up and talk about it. The Republicans already have a giant club to wield with we are in some inflation. That's going to hold some purchase amongst Americans who are paying. uh, We're probably going to hit like three dollar and 40 cent fucking gas prices at some point this summer. So that's going to have real purchase. That's going to have real world feel to people who hear Republicans bitching about this. And then Mm -hmm. the Republicans are going to be using that in the context of look how much Joe Biden's trying to spend. Watch how much more inflation there's going to be next year. We can't let this happen. That's going to roll into the midterms. And they're going to fuck themselves, which is exactly why you should have burst this through, this infrastructure in, at least by now. Like, by now, you should have been putting it forward. They're fucking themselves. Like, what, what are they waiting on? I don't know, man. What did they do? They didn't do anything. What major legislation has happened or even been talking? You know what I read the other day? I read an article about um, Amy Klobuchar put forward legislation in the Senate so that campaign contribution websites can't have pre-checked boxes for continuing contributions. That's what they're spending their fucking time on in the Senate. You know how long it takes to write a bill? Even something that Mm. short? It takes time. What the fuck are they doing? What are they doing? I haven't seen anything. I haven't seen any chatter. All I see is Corona talk and foreign policy, which I'm glad that foreign policy is actually getting a fair shake right now. And it's, you know, American media typically doesn't pay that much attention to it. But it's coming at the expense of everyone getting put to sleep on domestic policy where nothing's happened in two months. Mm-hmm. You know, so I don't know. I, I'm not, I'm feeling extremely pessimistic right now. Very worried. <laughs> well, because the thing is, where's the lion, man? Where is it? You yeah. know, Bernie can only do so much heavy lifting. Even AOC's kind of faded into the background where she's kind of just like giving little critiques here and there. But that's what, but that's what I'm talking about now is like a truly... Uh, a time now where people are getting almost like switched off because it's getting nice out. Everybody just well, did a year of politics. No one cares anymore. Yeah, but also like 
the government itself right now is just they know that one party is going to block the other and it's just going to be this game and mm-hmm. hey i gotta hit so, the head okay. real i gotta hit the head real quick carry all right i'll continue to hold down the fort but yeah it's crazy so the proposal is the biggest budget in recent history um it's reflecting the massive government spending plans Biden rolled out this spring in his push to bolster the middle class and make the United States more competitive with China. Um, His 1.5 trillion budget, which would increase funding for education, the IRS and the Centers for Disease Control, among other things, 2.3 trillion for the American Jobs Plan. That's kind of invested in infrastructure. um, And that's in negotiation with Congress. Good luck on that. Uh, 1.8 trillion for the American Families Plan, and that'll on universal pre-K and two years of free college, community college. But I'm with Ramon on this. It's it's slow moving, um, knowing that, you know, how hard it's been to get bipartisanship on anything. Um, it's not looking good, let me tell you. Um, and it just seems to be the same old story, same old song and dance. Um, so what can they get done? I don't know. It's just, it's one of those things where I feel like we're going back around in circles with this. But, you know, using reconciliation for just budget stuff is one of the prerequisites. You know, there's ways of trying to finagle that, but I don't think that uh, this discussion can go on for much longer uh, about should we nix the filibuster or should we not? They just need to grow a pair. And then these discussions will really be um, more weighty Um, when you have 53 senators, you know, a majority vote in favor of something. Only in America would shit like that not be actually, you know, passed into law. Um, I'm back. And Ramon, I was just saying, we're, we're going to continue having these conversations. Um, again, you know, the, this infrastructure bill and any bill that's brought forward, knowing that the way the filibuster is, using reconciliation, if the filibuster was gone, then there would be truly a discussion on all these things as opposed to the way that it's set up right now. America seems to be the only place in the world where you have a consensus wants something and it's still not getting done. What you know? What does that reflect? Uh, right. I, r- I think it, I think what it it reflects, you know, in a bunch of different facets. Like it's all a matter of what is the. There's this invisible barrier between a lot of things that the majority of Americans want or what you know, uh, people understand is the right thing, right? So, like, on foreign policy, like, there's been this invisible barrier around Israel and Palestine, right? Like, we know what that is. It's it's money <laughs> and influence and, you know, the the specter, the, the false pretense of anti-Semitism being laying over, uh, you know, being put as a veil over the truth, you know, and weaponized. Yeah. And the same thing happens in our domestic policy where it's like, oh, this is why we can't, you know, whatever. There's always some reason. And 
I think the difference here is what you're saying, like with America being so unique in that, where it's like there's so many different aspects of public policy where there's a just crying out for change. There's a ton of support for these things. And, you know, it's just it's like it's like we've talked about a ton on this pocket. Like, I don't think that there's no real threat to any of these people. You have the campaign finance no. system where they're they're able to keep playing within these parameters of oh just whatever money wherever money goes i go and i'll talk to talk to people and just keep it on moving and then if you mm -hmm. couple that with the fact that you know a ton of americans just don't want to be that invested in you know the political process and uh, or especially activism you know what i mean like you we saw flashes of it with george floyd and even that's been bottled up even that got co-opted and thrown out that's done. If you look at the public policy polling on Democrats now, it's down double digits for support for Black Lives Matter. Do you know why that is? The reason that that is is because when even when the contradictions were completely heightened last summer, when we all saw the vicious brutality of what happened, we actually had real coverage and content about the historical dynamic of policing in this country, the injustices. Even while the reaction to all of that history was happening on live TV in front of us, what did we get? We got complacent language like, oh, well, you, yeah, those things were bad, but, you know, this is bad, too. Or, oh, yeah. there's, oh, this and that. What about is it? Neoliberalism is constantly trying to tamp down, trying to trying to push below the surface or, or just keep just so the mouth is above water so the activists and radicals can still breathe. But you can't let that body above. You know what I mean? And and mm -hmm. that's why. This is all, it's all an ebb and flow of the way that co-optation has continually taken place amongst the left in this country. You let it burst out. You give it a little bit of time. It breathes. It has its raw form. It's, it's organic presence out in the media, in the discourse, all of this, right? And then what happens? Mm -hmm. You bring on a couple of the leaders of that movement. You bring them on board. You start, you know, supporting some of their projects. Look what the NFL did after Kaepernick. Perfect example. Look what Biden's doing mm -hmm. with George Floyd's family. It gives the perception of, I hear you, I see you, but I'm not going to fundamentally change anything. And why is that? Because it would threaten my political power base. Then I would have to challenge police unions. Then I would have to challenge billionaire owners in the NFL. There's, at the end of the day, if we don't see any shift or movement where these people actually feel threatened enough to do any of the things that they promise and just lie to you about and don't do. It's well, never going to change. Is, it's just, it's yeah, never going to change. It's all quite depressing actually, because what is going to be that thing that makes the shift? If, if something like what we've seen over the last four or five years, and then on top of this year that just happened, if that is not going to be the, the point where we have a paradigm shift in all of this, then I don't know what is. Well, um, I, I'll tell and I'd push back and say that, like, I definitely think that the last four or five years has reinvigorated the the movements and I, I guess uh, political people getting involved politically and understanding local elections and politics should start at home and stuff like that. Um, but I just feel like everything is so slow moving. It's like way too slow and it doesn't need to be that way. And for a lot of the time, it's Democrats getting in their own way. When you have 
when you have the consensus or at least legal democratic consensus it seems like or would be in like 90% of the world 99% of the world in the so-called strongest and greatest democracy in the world we've said it before uh they can't get it done and it like it's it's kind of depressing but well i mean i i don't find it like sure i'm i am a pessimistic realist uh you know but i don't get depressed it just it makes me more invigorated in feeling validated in what your opposition to it my opposition yeah. to it but also the my conviction in the fact that they're doing this shit on purpose because you can't lose this much like just the the logic the the mathematical like concept of chance would break through at some point mm-hmm. you know it's been too long we have to go back to like lbj for left victories why is that right. why is that you know what i mean it's they don't it's, play the game well enough well sure but you know and i think a lot of it is it's the selection of it all and and this goes back to like what i was saying before like with that concept of co-optation i listened to cornell west who i think is a prophet who is a I love a magical philosophical thinker and he breaks it down very simply whenever you have left groundswell amongst things and that that again that concept of co-optation i think the big reason why we're seeing such slow movement where it's like you know there's so much there's so much depressing of how like how fast like 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 the volatility of the george floyd situation i know i keep referring to that because that is the most you know it's it was the largest protest in american history you know Mm -hmm. what i mean like it was explosive it it has a lot of uh valence to what we're discussing right now like it it connects so heavily to that but what cornell west talks about is he says because there's the, the gatekeepers of power are so insular now and there's so few of them that whenever they reach a hand out to uh, uh, per, per, give the perception of lifting up a person who is a radical, who is at the head of whatever the new groundswell is amongst the left, pe- those people will readily grab that hand because they think, right. oh, well, yeah, sure, I'm giving, I'm getting a platform now. We have to reverse the whole thinking on that. Once you're in that system, once you're within the system and they lift you up and give you resources, you know, uh, oh, we'll talk about a plan. You're nullified at that point. You're no longer on the outside. You're no longer agitating and putting pressure on the administrations, on the establishments. And that's the difference of what we see through the first half of the 20th century. Oh, I would argue all the way up to like, you know, the 60s. And then that break off starts happening where the the progress starts it's on a much smaller slope it's no longer huge mm-hmm. spikes and dips where in the first half of the 20th century you saw extreme explosions of progress followed by extreme regressions and extreme you know now it's just like and it feels dissatisfying and the reason for that is is i think cornell west nails it it's that co-optation because money has so much influence now so much yep. more than it used to that it's simply it's too easy to co-opt things and people yep. and movements and that is what slows that drive of progress look at perfect example i saw on twitter the other day mark ruffalo who's a pretty outspoken leftist. oh i saw this yeah you yeah. saw that yeah. he's been talking about israel palestine for years now even bernie sanders went on tv he was asked about, oh, do we need to, you know, uh, how, how, are you, how are you feeling about the rhetoric right now in Israel-Palestine? And what Bernie, even Bernie said it. I think we need to tone it back. Because you had all these articles 
the you know the the media industrial complex, whatever you want to call it. Uh, they started writing all these articles, and a bunch of Jewish Americans were like, "Oh, I feel threatened by how upset people are in Israel right now," which doesn't even make any sense. Mm-hmm. Now, if you couple this with the fact that there's been explosions in anti-Semitism in America for the last four years, <laughs> Donald fucking Trump. In mm-hmm. all of these right-wing movements. Jews will not replace yeah. us at Charleston. And it's crazy how now we're having that cognitive dissonance where that no longer happened. The only reason that Jews feel threatened in America or anti-Semitism is on the rise is because the left is talking about Israel and Palestine. That is incorrect. Right. That's a, again, that's a false premise. That's yep. not true. So Disingenuous. But what does it do? What is the effect? Even Bernie. Oh, yeah, I think we need to tone it down. It's getting a little too crazy. Mark Ruffalo. I want to apologize for calling... Palestinians being moved from uh, Sheikh Jarrah genocide and what's been happening there. He he peeled back a word that he's been using for years because he read – what we're in now, we're in this sympathy economy where it's like who's the most oppressed? And I don't mean to say this to like pick up on – I'm not taking this in the context of like insane right-wing talking points where they're like, oh, it's the oppression Olympics. Like, no, I'm not saying that. I'm talking about on on a discourse level, on a real human level. What we Mm -hmm. see happening is, and this is another reason why the progress stalls, we see the clear evidence of civilians being killed at a disproportionate rate in Israel and Palestine, uh, the Israel-Palestine war, whatever you want to call it. And then what happens? Israeli propaganda and American Zionist propaganda immediately pushes back with, no, 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 no. We're much more oppressed. Look at what's happening here. And that is true. Like there are issues of anti-Semitism in America and globally. No one's discounting that. But that has nothing to do with us criticizing a nation state. It doesn't have anything to do with those two things. But again, it's what we're we're, we're, we're combining these concepts of co-optation and the sympathy economy. And and that's but why that everything's the, so slow. That really but is that all is it the is. only rebuke that they have. Anybody who is still pro what Israel is doing, the only rebuke they have is that they're being anti-Semitic for even right questioning him. But the thing and is, as long as we live in this universe we've created around our cultural politics, that holds weight. And, yeah, and it's something it me and you have discussed a lot before, where we yeah. talk about you know. How much, as a leftist, how much weight do you give? How much, what's the ratio between the racial justice and the economic justice? What's the balance? Like, what's the correct mixture to find the recipe that's going to win? Whatever you want to call that. You know what I mean? Well, we unfortunately, we know that money talks. So, sure. and it's so ingrained in everything that we think of and are contentious about that has it... Has it gotten in so much now that the actual discourse is not able to be had without the the more influential fucking uh, point getting getting you know taken and and blown up? Right. Something like Israel and and Palestine and and specifically the Israeli occupation of the West Bank and Gaza and Palestine and and the blockade for the last seventeen years. Is that anytime anybody was critical of the state of Israel, they would be labeled anti-Semitic. Um, right. And like I said in, in the episode that we did, this is the first time in a while that we've ha- we've heard the mainstream media, you know, somewhat collectively uh, damning Israel for what they were doing and talking about how, you know, it was disproportionate and how there was indiscriminate killings. 
But um, like I said, I think the only pushback that these people could get is, is, you know, and I'm not saying that the anti-Semitic attacks that were happening in America were, were not important, but I think that should not take away from what is actually still happening. Uh, I think everything is heightened. The rhetoric is hot. You know, people are passionate about what's going on in, in, in Palestine. Um, and, you know, there is some terrible, I saw some terrible signs of Palestinian protesters. I made sure to say to, to the people who follow me that, you know, you can be critical of Israel without being anti-Semitic. Sure. Uh, it, you know, anti-Zionism is not uh, anti-Semitism. No. Uh, and that's just plain fact. Israel and the Jewish people, it's one of the only places where they're inherently tied, you know, their religion and, you know, a place. Uh, I, I, you know, and that's why there was a dynamic with uh, what was happening in the north of Ireland with this, because it was kind of like Catholics versus Protestants. Mm -hmm. So what I've seen, though, this time around and, and this specific uh, uptick is that you have a lot of Jewish Americans and prominent Jewish people and even like Israeli Human Rights Watch have called out what is going on. So it's becoming more and more difficult to justify what's happening. But in saying that, you have America again, and I feel like we've talked about this three weeks in a row, but it, it, I think it's good to highlight it each time. Absolutely. America, each time at the UN Security Council and whatever council vote, they always vote against what is actually being put uh, to kind of reprimand or at least recognize what the fuck is going on there. Mm -hmm. Um Ireland is the first country to recognize. Um, I, I reposted it on my page there, but uh, they've put through legislation now where they're actually recognizing what Israel is doing in Palestine and calling it for what it is. I saw that. Which, uh, which is incredible you know, because there are countries in the UN that are, you know, potential enemies of Israel that haven't done so. Like, right. they actually have legitimate reason to denounce them on the world stage. Mm -hmm. And that just speaks to, again, the level of, just like we have, like, you know, the, the, this insane uh, level of income inequality domestically. Like, there's this insane level of disproportionate power on a global stage. Like, you know, we talked about it on previous episodes. Like, you know, international bodies just don't carry the weight they used to anymore. You know, mm -hmm. to the point where it's like, yeah, that's awesome that ireland did that and it's phenomenal that they're the first and it's the truth and it's good to hear right countries make statements that speak the truth and not worry about the repercussions but it really does say something that you have something this bald-faced and obvious that mm -hmm. you just it takes that long it take it takes that long and and this is what I worry about, right? Because earlier you mentioned where you said, um, you know, you were like, oh, everything's moving so slow. Like, what is it? What is it going to take? And, you know, it, it was super misguided. It's, what is it going to take in America? I mean, you know, like it was super misguided and it was completely based in falsehood. But like January 6th is the kind of thing that it probably will take. And I don't mean like invading the Capitol, but I mean radicalism. People being disobedient that is probably right. the only thing that's gonna that's the only thing that's gonna move the needle it's the only we look thing, through history and that only, is, those have been the only thing well yeah especially yeah. when you're talking about yeah. a country as powerful and rich as america it's the mm -hmm. only thing when you put that egg on the face of these people that run this country where it's like 
other countries get to look and be like, oh, look, the stupid Americans can't control their people. That's the yeah. only thing. That is the only thing. General strikes in the 30s, um, civil disobedience in the 60s, yeah. uh, draft dodging around Nam. Those are the kinds of things. Those are the only kinds of things. Because at the end of the day, no matter what boycott movement you do, no matter what, money no longer is, it's an, it's an, uh, uh, it, it's a completely surmountable issue for any nation state at the level of which America is at. They do not right. care. It doesn't matter how much money you withhold, whatever. It, it, none of that even does anything anymore. And you know what? And there's a lot of people like Killer Mike, for example, who I have a lot of respect for, where, mm -hmm. you know, they do like, oh, let's do just put money in local banks and black banks, whatever. Like, that's just... To me, that's no different than like, oh, let's solve climate change by like picking up garbage. And sure, it feels good and it is it's great for your locale, but it will not shift or move the foreign, the federal government. It's like, we, as much as we're giving credence to like the the media outpouring of decrying of Israel's crimes recently, like again, like we said on the last week's episode, like Biden still signed the weapons deal, you know. So yeah. at the end of the day, what we're talking about here, folks, is institutions and centers of power just looking at you in the face and be like, I'm going to keep doing it. What are you going to do about it? They're asking you. They're saying to you, if you actually care about this stuff, and I'm not saying right. this to like inflame people or whatever, it's just, that's the reality. It is the reality. They're, they're, and I think, they're looking at you and saying, what are you going to do about it? Because the well, mask is off at this point. We're seeing something very close to the truth from the talking heads, which is something you typically didn't get in the past. Now they're mm -hmm. actually touching on it because it's so prevalent and obvious that they can't contain it anymore without seeming like charlatans themselves. But at the end of the day, if those institutions of power just keep keep on doing it and are like, yeah, what are you going to do? Well, I think for for the most recent and, and I guess most famous instance of uh, apartheid kind of getting overturned in South Africa, it was the boycotts. It was the ostracization from the international community towards South Africa that I think helped bring among bring among that uh bring along that monumental sure. change for sure you know what I mean but the thing you is no one in the Mandela world in prison gets out and then all of a sudden the thing is though like South Africa in in its let like in its function uh or I shouldn't say in its function like on a principal level like yes it's very it's not a complete one-to-one -one, but it's the closest thing we've seen to this situation with Israel and Palestine so you would hope that similar strategies would work but the only difference there is like no one globally from a hegemonic level whether it be like China or the USSR at the time or America no one cared about what happened in South America. Yeah. No one gave a shit. That's true. You know what I mean? Like no it one forced cared. The hand it was just colonized bit. It was just like a semi-colonized place and people were like, yeah, whatever. You know, I, I thought it was interesting though as well. And I saw, Twitter can be a weird place. I saw a guy listen to one podcast, listen to, he's like, I had to get off Twitter because people are just arguing on there all the time. It's just an argue fest, which it's not entirely true, but it does seem like that quite a bit. Right. But he was talking about, um, he brought up the instance of, like let's say Israel, right? They brought on the Pakistani uh, some delegate from from Pakistan who was talking about the Israel and Palestine conflict, and he said that you know is he was pressed on the question. I think it was a CNN uh, CNN host, some obscure one, not one that I really know. Um, she pressed him on what he said that they have Israel has quite a bit of influence. 
and she pressed on him and then she was saying that's a that's a anti-semitic trope to say <laughs> israel has uh a lot of influence and deep pockets is what he said um and actually media san who i admire i think he does some great work he actually labeled it similar too in that the uh pakistani foreign minister should have chose his words a little bit more carefully because that is a trope that is used um you know to denigrate Jewish people. For sure. But I would fucking argue that they do have mass amounts of influence. Clearly. And they have deep pockets because of the pack in America here. And you're clearly seeing they have influence in that America and other global powers continuously vote against reprimanding them for doing what they do. Mm -hmm. um, I don't think the, the Pakistani foreign minister was intending to go at Jewish people, he was talking about the state of Israel. Right. But like you said, it gets co-opted around how can we fight back against someone fucking telling the truth? We can label it as this right. and try completely dismiss the substance of what you're saying. Um, and that's where we're going to drive each other crazy uh, if we continue to do that without actually taking. Well, and that's the point. That that's the right. that's the point of the strategy. It's extremely it's, it's extremely effective. It's because first off, it's the only play they have, because there is no logical argument against what mm -hmm. people are saying. That's just the simple statement of, "Hey, can you stop killing civilians?" There there is no other play for them to have other than to induce madness amongst the discourse. That's the whole yep. point. That it's 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 a psyop. That's the whole point, and and it's like, I love that you just said that the way that like Medi broke that down because. Like in what you were saying, because it, it for me in my heart, like it, it it's very close to things that I try to talk about with, you know, um, you know, uh, black radicalist language too. you know, where right. it can edge on that point where you have like, you know, folks who are, you know, like we talk about all the time, like the hotep language, like black supremacy and stuff like that. And it's like, so even that can be now that doesn't get institutionally quashed like right. people who call out black supremacists in america people who explicitly use language that talk about you know um uh Lisa farrakhan or something yeah like louis that. farrakhan you know black extremists which exist and that's not a you know yeah. well it's, you can't call it a trope because black people have never been in control of anything uh, right so that's you know that's why that doesn't really yeah. have that backing but you do get it amongst – you get discourse pushback. You don't get establishment pushback the way that you do right. from Israel. But it still has a very close relationship where it's something that if like it's deemed like, oh, if I go too far, am I being racist? Like, no. Right. you, you We can't – this is the drawback of what I – you know, I don't want to – I hate the word cancel culture. I refuse to use it. But if we keep – like we, we keep living in this space where rather than – you know, if someone has a bad idea, you know, debate them and explain, you know, beat them in the argument. You know what I mean? Like, instead of leaning on these like, oh, well, this signals this thing to me that this other bad person I know has an opinion of. And therefore, you must be just like that bad person. And I'm not going to engage with it and just call it anti-Semitic or racist uh, in right. regards to like black art, the argument about <laughs> black folks. And this is exactly why, um, you know, like to bring him in again, like Cornell West, that's why I love the way that he talks about these issues, because he spent a lot of time in the last, you know, decade or so. He took a lot of heat for going after Obama and people like Ta-Nehisi Coates and people that he calls, you know, he literally said, um, he literally called, like, basically called Obama, like, 
the n-word at one point in like 2015 where he said the end the enterization of the american presidency where he was saying like you're just carrying water for wall street at this point but and he was saying that in critique to like what ta-nehisi coates was saying where he was you know lifting obama up as this you know this herald of the new time to come in and all this and i i understand and appreciate the symbolism of all that but when we get down to the functional level of like what we're talking about today what we started off talking about like what has actually happened aside from symbolism and people feeling good about like oh this seems so much better than where we used to be right you know it's very similar these things that we're all we're all kind of like hovering around and there's this thing that we can't touch and we don't know, like we feel the pressure from it, but we don't know where it's coming from. And I think it's just like, it's this interesting time in, you know, 21st century information era where it's like, we still haven't quite figured out how we're going to be able to pierce these, these issues around, you know, uh, 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 discourse and this, uh, uh, sympathy economy we've created. Like it's completely mm-hmm. a, a pendulum swing in the opposite direction of what this country used to be. This country used to be about like rapacious capitalism was celebrated, like domination, you know what I mean? Imperialism. Like that was, even if the, even if the regular American didn't know what America was doing overseas in foreign policy, it's still reflected in the culture. Like people still, it, it came from the top down. You didn't have guys like Joe Biden going on TV and almost crying, talking about food getting put in the back of trunks. You didn't have guys on like Joe Biden talking about how bad he felt for families of people who'd been killed. Presidents didn't do shit like that back in the day. They didn't do stuff like that. They came out strong. It was, there's a culture shift happening. And I think that we're in the middle of like just this crazy process of trying to assimilate like how to understand or work within the change before we break to some new place. And I don't know how else to explain it. I I really don't because it's like you're saying we're, we're in this like just the, the in-between like we're we're nothing moves or happens, but we're supposed we're being told it is feeling like it's it's progress, and this is why you should feel like it because there's new faces and higher places. But at the end right. of the day, if the guy that I live down the street from is only making two dollars more than he made ten years ago doing the same job, what really has changed? You know right. what I mean? Like I, I keep wanting to bring it back to these things because like it's great to talk about foreign policy and racial progress and all these other things but it's like we're just gonna enter that same cycle again at some point if nothing else fundamentally changes and 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 that's why i just i get so frustrated by it and i know i'm rambling here but we have to do like or maybe i'll do a live stream or we can do an episode where we really dive into like trying to understand and focus on like the or just just talk about like where we're at where i feel like and i'll be honest I feel like the pendulum has swung too far in the le- on the left around just racial and social grievances. justice and uh-huh. grievances and sympathy culture where we get so focused on that that like once like we're done complaining to the manager and that person like gets in trouble or fired or we feel like yeah. we won that's it everybody just goes home and it's like uh, that's not you're not winning anything and I'm of the I'm of the thought that it's, it's again, it's one of those things that seems a lot louder because of social media. But I think if you're to meet and talk to people generally, black and white, who, and you give them a set of circumstances or, uh, you know, lay out a story of the actual stories that they're fighting against, I think it would be a lot more consensus than you would think. And, and that is very broad statement for me, but 
I think online everything seems heightened and so much more divisive. But I, you know, who am I to say that? Right. But I I th- I do think that um, cancel culture. I'll say it, and this you know getting on somebody for making a uh, a mistake or uh, and this is you know left and right. Uh, it happens where it, it it there's like a pitchfork out and like let's get him. There's no there's no room to grow and develop in that space because it's so vitriol. Um, I'll say the social justice movement. Um, I think it it you know it, it. I wouldn't say it, it has gone too far to the left. I don't know if if I'm mischaracterizing what you said, but well, no, I'm uh, saying the ratio between like the left pairing social justice and economic justice has grown out of whack. Right. Like, it should be more balanced within yeah, the conversation. There needs to be a healthier balance yeah. for sure. Right. And, and, and the understanding of someone who is fighting for social justice, you can only truly have that if you have economic justice. Right. I mean, that's, that's essentially what we're talking about because the economics of living in poverty drives you towards the things that would, you know, make you be socially ostracized even more and more, mm-hmm. you know? Um, so I, I definitely agree with that. But again, we live in an age now where a lot of what we see is entertainment, whether it's it's uh, dressed up that way. Right. So even on Twitter, like I said, everyone is just trying to dunk on everyone else, get the right point across, become famous, get retweets, likes. So the more outrageous they can be, the more that they can video themselves, you know, yelling at a person for not wearing a mask or whatever it is, that's going to get more clout. It's, you know, it's the reality of it. But even within politics, politicians and talking heads are doing the same thing on a, on a similar type of level. They, then you need to be outraged by this, that, or the other. And I spoke to you before about this. The news now has turned into, you know, everything is a breaking news story. That should be paired with something else then a couple of days later to re rehash it and talk about it again. And it's just a, a never ending cycle of grievances and the actual substance of what we're talking about is lost in all this like shock and awe. Right. When the thinking people are kind of left to be like, why are we still fucking talking about these same things without actual stuff getting done? Right. And I just I think um, I think just to cap off like the thought I was having and to add on to what you were saying is like, and I agree with you, like you were saying, like, oh, if, I feel like if you go talk to people, like people generally, you know, agree on a lot of this stuff. And and that is true, right? On just like a level, like a human connection level. Right. But the problem is that that connection doesn't happen on an electoral level. And perfect example no. is we just had a Democratic primary where we were in the the height of all of this. All of the, mm-hmm. what we're talking about, the sympathy economy, all these whatever. And we elected the most right-wing guy. Right. So what does that say? What well, that says to I, me is, what that says to me is, people will say things, but there's some other input that can override it very easily. Jim right. Clyburn. I, I think- Like institutional y- yeah. power still is not threatened enough to just- other than to just say things, and that that trickles down, it permeates down to the electorate. Like, well, I think also, though, can I just say that is part of the tribalism of a two-party system as well, is that, like, at the end of the day, you get in the ballot box, 
and you may you you may believe and and get on with your neighbor and and want to be live and let live but your own interests supersede that in in a sense now because it's gotten so partisan sure that you can no longer vote for the interests of your neighbor it's completely about you and your party winning just so you can be like oh we got no dams in here this is in our country or we got you know only liberals live here it's a liberal enclave you know right but i mean and the so thing is it trickles down to even to move to the movement level too like now that now that like as much as black lives matter like as a you know countrywide organization i think it, it's a joke you know uh black lives matter chapters are the real thing uh but as far as like the federal organization of it that's completely that that is the co-optation we're talking about right now right. the people sucking up all that money at the top that actually have very little of nothing to do with any of the actual movements that happened last summer uh, uh, or Ferguson, for that matter, or anything like that. Just people right. who parade jumped and hopped <clears throat> in the front of it. Um, you know, it's like what I said before, like now that that public policy polling is fading away, the people who are real about these movements, the people who are real about Israel-Palestine, the people who are real about Black Lives Matter, the people who are real about a $15 minimum wage and not wanting their neighbors to be, even if you're not one of those people, not wanting people to suffer. You, we have to be real about the fact that the Democratic Party will, will toss away, tossed all these things away as soon as they stopped being useful. As soon right. as it was no longer an, an, an imperative for them to support because public policy waned a little bit on it or they stopped being pressured, we need to be realistic about that and use that understanding to 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 to. to, to to, to use that in our understanding and the, the, the continuation of these movement formations that you need to just continue to stay on the outside. I know I keep going right. back to that, but like, that's what Jesse Jackson understood. That is what um, you know, Bernie Sanders understood. He's been on the outside right. his whole career and now he's in and look, he's muted now because he got his small concessions. And again, this isn't a dunk on him. This is just a right. reality of him. You know his political life cycles coming to a close. He's doing but the he's, he's he's doing the correct move right now. Staying on the outside right now would not serve him more than being on the in. But there are other people and other movements that you must stay on the outside. There, you, but in Bernie, in, in in Bernie is a perfect example of where I can have optimism though. Because if you think of that presidential run, the first one where he was paired against Hillary, and even though it was infuriating how he was kind of you know ushered out of that and then again obviously in this run with bernie sanders uh, policy and and just his messaging it it brought along so many more progressives into the system both in government now you have a very strong progressive wing of the party strong i, I would say as it's been in a long long time and a vocal one even though you know they, you said they've been a little bit more muted as of late, um, but you know Bernie Sanders is in a decent position now as as kind of um, chair of the finance committee. Mm -hmm. But that's a good optimistic point to look at. Is that like for sure? You know, for sure. He he was an outsider for so so long, and then a kind of but look out of how the blue, look how long it took to get there. Yeah, no, that's I know un, that's unsustainable. That's my point. Like right, if you can get least, a, if you can get a few exceptional people through in that regard, like look at Keith Ellison, shafted. Like he should have been DNC chair. Just saw a story the other day. Progressives wanted him. Tom Perez is working for a fucking consulting firm now. Go of course on. he is. 
gone. That's the new. That's the way to do it. And, is and, just go straight into a consulting. Yeah, mode and right sure, after. Bernie squeaked through. But I'm just saying, as far as these larger movements are concerned, and people that are looking to get engaged in politics, just have that in the back of your mind. Understand that because again, it's just a natural pull of the universe and how politics works. This isn't just my opinion. Yep. This is like proven fact. If you start moving into the interior of these political systems that you came into politics in your outset to criticize and change and move, you will, by definition, mute yourself to fit into that institution. So it, yep. it is it serves more function. This is why I appreciated like Jamaica Miles' run. This is why I appreciate people like her. Um uh 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 I forget that there's an Albany city councilman. I can't I'm forgetting his name. I spoke to him at the Albany nurses rally. Uh, uh, for for May Day, you know, there's a lot of people who Tom, they have this understanding where it's like, hey, I accept it. I accept that I'm going to continually be ostracized from the main Democratic Party body. I still exist in it somewhat, but I am not mm -hmm. going to be, you know, taking the phone call from one of my, you know, colleagues like, oh, you know, can you tone it down on this or whatever? Because that's. That's that's the start of the drop off. That's where it begins right. at. And if that constant pressure isn't kept up, you know, th this is this is how we end up on these just constant well, little holding patterns. The last thing I'd say on it, because uh, I'm going to be wrapping it up here soon. Oh yeah, to get into the weekend. Um, I think you know, one instance there, I, sh I showed you how much of a change agent Bernie was for the Democratic Party, even though he didn't win the nomination. Mm -hmm. um, you're looking as well as how much of a change agent. Donald Trump was for, oh, for sure. American uh, American policy and American values and Republican policy and Republican values. So it doesn't take, well, it just takes someone with, and uh, you know, say what you want about Trump. He does have charisma. He got people watching, he got people involved, um, both to for good and bad reasons. But again, that's another point of optimism in that, it, you know, the things that we're talking about, the things that frustrate us, all it takes is, you know, for enough people to be behind a message and you get in the right situations, you're loud enough with that bully pulpit and you can create real change. Um, well, whether again, for better or worse. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not saying it for either way. Yeah. But that's why, you know, the people who are in a position to bring people along, educate people, um, you know, put support behind the right people really matters. And it'll be interesting, you know, we're going to have a couple of people who are running for local and county um, races. We already had um, one person on, you know, you've obviously spoke with uh, Jamaica Miles pr uh, prior to her run for our successful run for city council. Um, it'll be interesting to see how, you know, what change, you know, these people talk about when they're running and and being able to actually implement what they get what i like to see though is you know jamaica clearly wants to continue to keep the dialogue going about the issues that she ran on uh, mm -hmm. and having you know people involved in the dialogue throughout the process and for uh, as much as they can um but yeah i think it, it can get quite frustrating. I always get back to it at the end of an episode after we, we've hashed it out, uh, you know, different things that are going on. But I think as long as the people who are in power continue to just um, stiff arm the, the, the will of the people, I think that anger and the, the desire is going to grow and not, 
and not wane from from the uh, the electorate. But for sure, who am I? I'm just a green card holder. You're not the vote. Uh, you're an Irishman, <laughs> though, dog. You know what it takes. <laughs> I do. Well, and to quote FDR, "Make me do it." Yeah, that would make me do it. Yeah, it's real simple. Now, most important question: Did you watch the Friends reunion? Hell no, I've never even seen an episode of Friends. I won't. Oh, you haven't? No, I won't. I refuse to. Bro, I'm rewatching wow. The Wire right now. I watch real television, bro. The Wire. Yeah. I've never watched The Wire. That's one I've, I've wanted to watch. All right, well, stop watching Friends again. Oh, I haven't watched this new <laughs> Friends thing. I refuse to. Oh, you, oh you've never um, seen it? Oh, okay. I'm not, no, I have watched I've never, Friends. I don't even Friends know is if it's great. Bad. I love All right. Friends. I was going to say, I don't even know if it's bad, to be fair. I'm not even going to front and say I've never watched Friends. I probably could quote a couple episodes. I think it was kind of ingrained in us a little bit, but. They rolled out all the uh, the former cast for like a chit chat, and it's like the talk of everybody's uh, everybody's day. Yeah, is <laughs> is it on like Netflix or is it on TV? It's on HBO Max. Oh uh, yeah. yeah, I was gonna say some premium cable probably hot, snatched that up, right? But everyone's just talking about the appearance of the former cast members. They're like, "Oh my god, Ross looks like he's made out of clay." <laughs> <laughs> That was my American accent, by the way. Oh, man. Well, but, all right. So, uh, hey, yeah. I was going to say, do you want to tease next week? You kind of almost did there. Yeah. I mean, we're going to have um, we're gonna have a special guest on next week. We still have to hash out the format, whether it's going to be in person or me and Ramon are going to be in person. But we're going to have Omar McGill on. He's running for county legislator uh, here in Schenectady County um, to talk about his uh, race, first of all, He's going to be running against uh, the Democratic candidate, um, Savage. So we're going to talk about that, talk about his policies, and uh, just talk about, you know, kind of what he's looking to do and, and what he's running on. But, uh, yeah, we're going to try to get more people on the, the podcast to kind of switch it up a bit so it's just not me and Ramon screaming at each other. <laughs> uh, Ramon successfully got out to a couple rallies and interviewed some people. We had Damani Farley on in one of our earlier episodes. And, you know, I'm truly the believer that, you know, it's important to be involved in your local politics because that's that's where you can really get change that will affect you, uh, you know, more more quickly than you're looking at the... Uh, oh, the oh year-long reconciliation CNN. process? Exactly. <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> Um, we got some comments on the stream. Your mom said, uh, Melissa Brown said, politics as usual. Oh, uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Yep. Cards wear of money. I don't know what that means. What does that mean? <laughs> I think the cat walked across the keyboard on that one. Yeah, I don't know. Autocorrect, folks. <laughs> Autocorrect. But she's right. Politics as usual is is yep. definitely correct. Yep. All right. Well, this was fun. Um, Memorial weekend. Hope everyone has a safe Memorial Day weekend. How do you Memorial Weekend? I mean, Memorial Day weekend. Yeah, yeah. Memorial Day weekend. <laughs> yes. Um, it's going to be shitty weather, so I don't know if that's going to stifle anybody's plans. It's cold today. It's weird, and it was beautiful the last week where I was wearing shorts, but now I go outside and I don't know if to grab a. A jumper or a sweater weather umbrella or whatever. Oh yeah. I liked but, it. Uh, I liked it. I didn't mind it. It was a nice switch up. Yeah, I already I just put the ACs in yesterday. Yeah. My house gets hot though, man. That's you know. Yeah. Cool weather is appreciated. All right. Well, I don't have much else for you, lads. That was uh that was enjoyable. Ramon, 
always a pleasure um join us next week we might do something midweek where we get on and flap our gills a little bit but uh appreciate you joining us as always uh please like and share tell your friends about it this is you know something that we enjoy doing um we definitely want to hear from you guys to see how you're liking it or disliking it or yeah come, if you have to, any come opinion talk some on. shit if you don't agree yeah bring it on talk your shit <laughs> all right ramon you got anything for him before no, we bounce that's it, man i mean yeah we're i'm gonna definitely try to do something midweek because I, I i have like a backlog of just things like what we kind of did in the beginning like just funny <laughs> stuff to talk on that I, we can just dunk on or critique real quick I, yeah i, gotta, I think that'll we help got a backlog <laughs> right now yeah that'll help yeah, yeah. We just if we're trying to all dump it on the one podcast it's tough it yeah, just yeah. becomes like oh yeah what about this <laughs> <laughs> but all right folks all right Thanks folks for tuning in Appreciate you. Peace.